Amen. How many are ready for a baby dedication? Make some noise. All right, we are excited. Let's have Chris and Monique bring up baby Gabriel, Michael, Sinclair. Let's give it up as they come, please. You know, in the church, we believe in baby dedication. You guys could come stand up here. We believe in uh, giving our children to the Lord because God says that they are gifts of God. That's why we support the pro-life movement and don't believe that it's right for us to take the human life even when it's in the womb. Can I hear an amen to that? In our culture, we've lost the value of children. Uh, today, my generation values pets over children. You have all these pets, and they'll talk about how neat it is. I go to a restaurant, and, and I'm with my five children. They'll go, don't they're all yours? Don't they're yours? You know, they, they look at it so strange. But the truth is the reason why they do that is because they're idolaters. And I don't mean that in a harsh way, but I mean it in a truthful way. They idolize their own life. They want their own expendable income. They want their own schedule. They want life to be about them. And now is it any wonder that at my age, the 30, 40-something-year-olds are the most depressed they've ever been. They're the most anxious they've ever been. The suicide rate is the highest it's been in 30 years. Are you listening to me? And right now, they are the most disgruntled with their future. They don't know what's going on in the world. Why? Because they've lost the value of what's going on. Let everybody see this little one right there. They've lost the value of children. You see, I'm not supposed to give my strength to the club. I'm not supposed to even give my strength to my job. The Bible says my strength as a father goes to my children. Mothers, fathers, your strength goes to your children and then to your job and to your community and the people around you. That's why in our church, you look at them, you would think even Pastor Grogan thought when he came that you guys were on your first because you look so good, you look so happy. But this is your second, and I am serious, and I don't mean this in any way to be harsh, but you look at Nancy and I. If Nancy and I were on a date night, people would think we were just maybe a young married couple just starting off, and when they find out that Nancy has five children, it's unbelievable. She looks better than most high schoolers. Are you listening to me? I'm just saying that's the glory of God. That's the glory of God because she didn't give her life to the things of this world. She doesn't need plastic surgery. She doesn't need those things. And you see, God does the same thing for the men. God increases the men's uh, testosterone and these things as he is active with his wife. Let's just say it like that. He's active with his wife. And then when he sets his heart upon his children, he's motivated to come home. He's motivated to work hard and do those things. And he becomes a civilized man. He becomes a gentle man. Can I I hear an amen. So thank you for this teachable moment, but we're so happy. Chris, tell us a little bit about your family, what's going on now. You have baby Zoe. I think she's almost two. Yeah, and then now you have Gabriel. Just tell us about 
Um, actually, this is really great uh, to be to be actually be here with my wife with our second uh, baby. I mean, like we had a miscarriage in the beginning, and God blessed us with a uh, baby girl and now a baby boy. We expect probably like two more, three more. So, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but just right now, we're just kind of you know just learning more and more. I mean, as you as we kind of go with the kids and uh, enjoying it too, you know. So uh, yeah, it's just been a blessing, and. Uh, I, you know, I want to say this too, since I got a minute. Uh, also, because you know, considering like before in our marriage when we first started, I hate to get so personal, but we started so in our marriage and we went through so many trials and just struggles, and we were actually at one point like, oh, maybe this is raw. Maybe we should. Maybe we didn't hear from the Lord, you know. And the enemy came at us so hard. And I remember the Lord gave us uh, gave us a vision that we had three kids. And we had, and, and we knew that our first daughter was coming before, before, like four years before she came, and then we knew he was coming. So it was like, you know, we were we were just standing on the truth of what God was saying, and now we already see the second here, so it's really a blessing for us. So God was speaking to you about your future. The devil was trying to tell you it wasn't going to work, but God was speaking about the future. Amen. And marriage is work, but it's good work. Amen. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Um, I just, I'm... Um I'm really, really thankful to be able to have um, to have these two kids, and I want to like really reiterate and stress how uh, Pastor Joe was saying it's important to put your your best everything for your kids first, and then everything else, at, like your job and things like that after. Um, I feel like that is what is helping me to have blessed kids. You know, is putting putting God first, obviously, and then giving my best energy to my kids. I know that a lot of people think like, oh, don't have kids until you're more financially stable or you have all this set or you're done with school, you're done with this or that or whatever. Obviously, you should be married first before you have kids, but, you know, um, but, um, you know, my boss and things like that, they were telling me, oh, you're too young to have kids. Oh, why? You have two already. Oh, don't you guys believe in birth control? Oh, like, you know, back to back. What's going on? You know, and it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a married woman loving Jesus. Like, why am I not going to have, you know, why am I not going to have these kids? Like, it doesn't make sense like the way the world will tell you you know to to wait and to only have one or to you know love animals more than people and have all these dogs and cats and whatever like that's so silly that's not like how God intended for family to be you know so I would just say like if you want to have kids and you want to have a blessed family like just trust God to you know just do it and just trust God to take care of you and provide because you're following his command to multiply so <laughs> amen he's smiling there as you're preaching you know, you can look it up on Google when you uh, have a chance, but they're, uh, they're now discovering that loneliness is one of the leading causes of death, especially among the elderly. That it's, it's a significant factor, and how long you will live is dependent upon how you look at the people around you. And see, that's the thing. When you have your children in the days of your youth, and then you get to have your grandchildren and those things, they will surround you. The Bible says they will be like an olive tree uh, budding forth around your table. They will be a blessing to you you all the days of your life. And so we want to speak that blessing over them right now. So would you uh, just please come stand in front of me. We're going to pray for you. As they do that, let's put the scripture up right here. The book of Proverbs teaches us uh, in Proverbs 22, 6, start off children on the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. I'm going to ask that some of our elders and deacons would come. We are going to pray for you, Chris, to be the man of God, the husband that the Lord has called you to be. Uh, Monique, that you will 
be that woman of Zion that the Lord wants you to be, that encourager, that supporter, and that together you're going to be these parents that support and, and empower your children to be the greatest they can be. And then especially right now, we're going to pray for this little buddy right here just to get blessed by the best. Do you want to be blessed by the best? Amen. So congregation, we're just going to stretch forth our hands as a community, as a sign of agreement. Elders and deacons are praying, and we're laying our hands upon them as Jesus did when he walked the earth. Lord, we thank you today for, for young Gabriel. We pray that you bless him, God, from his head to his toes. Give him a long life, a prosperous life. May he always know and love you and serve you. May he be a mighty man of God. May he see, God, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren come forth until you come back, O oh Lord. We pray today, God, for Monique and for Chris, for financial blessings, for stability, for wisdom upon their jobs and careers and all all that you've called them to do, to be, Lord, healthy in their bodies, God, to be sound in their mind, to uh, see the community, God, as an opportunity to be uh, examples to, Lord, that people will look at their lives and want to emulate it, and, Lord, let them know they're not going through this together. There's a church, elders and deacons and families and friends that are here to support them on this journey so that, God, they can have all the tools they need to build this awesome family in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus today and this wonderful family. Let's give that to them as well. Amen. You guys can open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3. How many are ready for the word today? Can I get an amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. We are going to be studying today about Christ in you. This is the last portion of chapter 3. So some of these portions have been moving quickly, and I pray that you have been keeping up with your weekly reading as God is speaking to us through the book of Ephesians. Somebody say, Christ in me. Now look at your neighbor and say, Christ in you. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about what I think is one of the greatest concepts of the book of Ephesians. It's where we actually get the sermon series from, In Him. Okay, so this uh, February we started the book of Ephesians verse by verse, studying through it, and now we're in chapter 3 at the uh, final portions here, about ready to get into chapter 4. And the in him is something that is brought up throughout the entire book. And so I thought at this point it would be good to kind of pause as Paul gets into his second prayer here to remember that we are in Christ as Christians. And if you are not born again, you are outside of Christ. So how many are born again today? Okay, so that means you are in Christ. And so humanity was meant to know divinity through the Trinity. You were meant to have a relationship with God via the Trinity. But who is the person of the Trinity that came down in the flesh to be the mediator between divinity and humanity? What's his name? Jesus. So when you are in Jesus, you are in the Trinity. You are in the Father and the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, the first three verses today of, uh, of today's passage will teach you the Trinity and a great way to help you understand how it works. So we come into Christ, and by coming into Christ, we come into the triune God of heaven and earth, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, represented here by the triangle. And that's why I use that symbol, I am in Christ, and if I am in Christ, I am in the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the greatest privileges you're going to ever have as a Christian is to experience this. And I believe that this is what we'll do for all of eternity. So let's look at Paul uh, speaking to us, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is now his second prayer. If you remember, he prayed in the chapter 1, and we learned that his prayer was that we may know God better, that our spirit...
spirit and our heart may be enlightened by the Holy Spirit to know God's power, to know his inheritance, and to know the hope that he has for us. Does anybody remember Paul's first prayer, chapter 1? Okay, now he's going to start off again praying and sharing his heart with us in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father. Here is the tradition of kneeling. You don't always have to kneel, but this was a tradition brought forth from the Jewish people into the Christian community. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Who does he kneel before? The Father. Remember that. We're going to learn about the Son and the Spirit in just a moment, the triune God in these first three verses. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Why is that important? Because just in the previous verses of chapter uh, 3 here, we've learned that Jew and Gentile are now a part of the kingdom of God if they come into Christ. Can I hear an amen? How many are happy about that today? We are now fellow citizens and heirs with the Gentiles. We are literally sons of Abraham in the same way that Isaac was a son of Abraham. Because of Christ, we are now Abraham's seed. And so this is Paul's way of saying it was always his intention to bring the Jew and the Gentile together because every family in heaven and on earth has come from him. All of the families of angels, the seraphim and the cherubim, the different kinds that are there have all come from him. All of the different cultures of the human race, one race, the human race and multiplicity of cultures comes from Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? Isn't that exciting? Now verse 16, he's praying before the Father here and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his what? Through his spirit in your inner being. Now we have the Father and we have the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? This is how it works. The Father through the Holy Spirit. But how do we get the connection with the Spirit? Through the Son. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Let's read verse 17 again. One, two, three. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Get it right there. He's praying to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ may be in our hearts. Now, if Christ is in our hearts, then all of divinity is inside of us today. Jesus is not partially divine. He is 100% divine. If he is here by the Holy Spirit, we have the fullness of the power of God on the inside of us today. We've talked about how this sacred union can happen. We know that literally the body that resurrected of Jesus is sitting next to the Father in heaven, but the Holy Spirit who represents fully as a separate person, but represents fully the Father and Son as John chapter 16 teaches us, he himself intertwines into our spirit so that we may have the fullness of the Father and the Son. And the Father says that he speaks through the Son. So whenever you hear the Spirit speaking, it's always going to be what the Father wants through the voice of Jesus. The Spirit speaks the voice of Jesus by the will of the Father. It's so amazing once you understand the Trinity, how you can understand your relationship with divinity. Can I hear an amen? You as humanity was meant to have a relationship with divinity through the Trinity. This is the whole story. This is why we were created in the image of God. This is why after we fell, he didn't just send us to hell. He came in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins, to raise from the dead and restore us to 
to this relationship. This is the ideal for all of humanity. And as we talked about last week, there is a new humanity coming because all of us now are of one race to human race that came from Adam and Eve, a fallen race. So that means all of our bodies are cursed with death. But the resurrected flesh of Jesus now stands as the second and last Adam. He was the second and last one to be given a sinless flesh. Adam was the first. He lost it. Fast forward 4,000 years. Jesus gets it back in the virgin birth. He wasn't born that day. He just took on flesh that day because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have always existed. Are you listening? So when the Son in perfect flesh lived and died for us and rose again, he came literally, think of coming from the grave as the firstborn among the dead so that now he may have many brothers and sisters conform to his image. So I was born first, naughty by nature, but I'm born again in the divine nature. Amen? I first came into this place born of the Adamic race. Now I'm going to get born again into the Jesus kind of race, the God kind of race, a resurrected flesh to live and dwell with God forever. But where does it start? Where does our relationship start? Jesus looked at a Jewish man named Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. So as Paul is saying here in verse 17, that the relationship with the Father and the the Spirit starts with Christ coming into our lives by faith and changing us and making us new. And how does he do it? How does the root produce the fruit of life? It happens in love. Love defines being born again. Now, some of you might have been born out of a relationship that didn't come from love. Maybe your mommy and daddy didn't love each other. Maybe there was something that happened and they broke up before you were even born. Or maybe they were just, uh, you know, booty calling each other. Who knows? But I want to tell you what, you are born of a spiritual union out of love. You are meant to be born again. You were predestined for it. You are not an accident. Jesus loves you. The Father loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you. Our triune God loves humanity. And through their love for us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they want to root us in a new life, a new spiritual life, in union with them in the soil of their love. For God so loved the world, he gave the Son. The Son so loved the world, he gave his life. The Spirit so loves us that he indwells us. Isn't that the beautiful relationship that you and I are longing for? Literally, as C.S. Lewis said, we all know that we're made for something more. And the more is not what we see. And so this is an evidence of it. How do we know God is real? Just looking at the inside. How do you know that God is real? Because you hunger and thirst for him. But you've never touched him or tasted him. But there's an inward desire for him. And so we make idols of this world. We make idols out of people and relationships, but they leave us empty. Even good families and good jobs and good educations leave us empty. Why? Because we're all longing for something that the world cannot satisfy. It's because it comes from another world, a place called heaven, and that's why we need heaven to come to earth and start within us. We were made for glory, and we feel naked without it. Not only are your clothes an everyday illustration that you feel naked without the glory of God in which you once were clothed as Adam and Eve as representatives of the human race, but inwardly you feel naked and exposed and dry and lost and blind, as the Bible says. But it's God's love that covers us. It's God's spirit that comes inside of us literally in union to us and wraps us in his divine presence 
And that number one attribute of his divine presence is love, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, look at Paul's prayer, and I pray this for everybody here, that you will be rooted and established in love, and that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide. Everybody go, how wide? Now say, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ? Come on, let's do it again. How wide, how long? How high and how deep is the love of Christ? I want you to listen to one of the uh, commentaries on how wide and how deep is the love of Christ so that you can sense it in your heart today that you were made for something great. You were made today for love. You were made to experience the width of God's love, the literal length of God's love, the height and the depth. I don't know about you, but there's often times in my life that I feel like I have gone beyond God's love. I have sinned beyond what God can forgive, or I have messed up to the point where maybe he won't bring me out of that pit, take me from the depths of that pit. But that's not true. The Bible reminds us that it wasn't good works that saves us. Therefore, it's not bad works that condemn us. It's the faith, it's the trust that brought us in, and it's the unbelief that brings us out. So this is the difference between Judas and Peter, is that as long as we don't hang ourselves, God still has a plan for us. As long as we don't quit on what God is wanting to do on the inside of us, God will work his will through our lives. Can I hear an amen? God is working his will through our lives so that we can understand his purpose and plan for us. Listen to what the expositor's commentary says. God's love is high enough to raise both Jew and Gentile to heavenly places in Christ. It's deep enough to rescue God's people from sin's degradation and even the great of Satan from hell itself. The love of Christ is wide enough to reach every part of our life and every part of this world, and it is long enough to stretch from here to eternity forevermore. How wide, how long, how deep, how high is the love of Christ? May you and I spend our lives discovering the width, the length, the depth, and the height of Jesus Christ's love. Amen. It's the love of God that will keep you when others leave you. It's the love of God that will motivate you when you feel weak and you can't go on. It's the love of God that will comfort you in the midnight hour. It's the love of God that will be with you by the graveside. It's the love of God that will be there reminding you it is not by works you have been saved, but it is by the grace of God. Are you understanding that today? Because if we ever get that confused and get into a works-based religion, we'll always have condemnation upon on us. But if I know that it has nothing to do with me, I will always feel at rest in my Father's arms. Are you getting this today? I love, at the beginning, I put here a quote, what one of these great men said in the 1800s, Gerdhaus Voss. Listen to what he said to describe our relationship to Christ in love. To be a Christian is to live one's life not merely in obedience to God. That's what many people think. Well, I just do the commands. I just do the black and white laws. No, it's not merely in obedience to, to God, not merely in dependence on God. A lot of people just think about it. Why well, depend upon God? I need God. It's not just in obedience. It's not merely in dependence on him, nor even merely living for the sake of God. Well, I live for God. I do these things for God. He said it's not merely obedience. It's not merely dependence. It's not merely living for the sake of God. Listen to what he said here many years ago. I believe it stands true today. It is to stand 
in conscious, reciprocal fellowship with God. To be identified with him in thought and purpose and work. And to receive from him and to give back to him in the ceaseless interplay of spiritual forces. You are literally the deep of God that is being called by his deep. The Bible says as deep calls unto deep is the ways of God. So you're the wave that's crashing over the shore, but yet there's a deeper sense of the tide inside the ocean that draws back that wave again into the ocean, and then it pushes it back out, and then it draws it back in again. You are to have an interplay with your consciousness in the spiritual realm with God every day so that you are united with him in your thought and in your purpose. I love what the old song said, be thou my vision, thou my best thought by day or by night. How many can say today, God is your best thought by day or by night? It is in our relationship to Christ that we understand what we were made for. We will never understand our purpose until we understand why he made us. He made us for relationship. That we may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp the width, the length, the height, the depth, the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled, listen to it, to the measure of all the what? The fullness of God. How much of God should be in you? Fullness. All of it. You say, well, God is so much greater than me. God's so much bigger than me. Yes, but God in his greatness could humble himself and become a man. He could contain his glory inside the flesh of Jesus. In the flesh of Jesus, there was not one iota missing of the divinity of the Son of God. And inside of you, there was not one thing missing from God in his presence. Oh, that we would be sensitive to that, to understand how close we are to God. How close he has united himself to each and every one of us. And what reminds us of that unification is his love, is his love. So hatred for ourselves is against the will of God. Some people call that humility. The old Roman Catholics used to whip and beat and torture themselves. That is not love for oneself. And as a matter of fact, you can't keep the second greatest commandment, loving your neighbor, unless you love yourself. Because the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Now the self-love that God wants you to have is not a selfishness, a selfish ambition, a self-centered, a do-it-yourself kind of way of looking at your human potential. No, but self-love is seeing yourself as God sees you. How many of you would be happy if your child came to you today, say my son Lucas, if my son Lucas came to me today and said, I'm ugly, I'm garbage, but my father loves me anyway. How many know I wouldn't be happy with that? Even if he was disfigured, even if he did have physical handicaps, I would say, never say that of yourself. You're beautiful. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And your father loves you. And so we need to look at ourselves, not only just in the mirror, but in our hearts and our lives and say, I know this is true. Jesus loves me. This is true for the Bible tells me so. God loves me. 
He adores me. He loves to sing songs over me, as the Bible said. He's written me in my name in the palm of his hand. This doesn't mean that God is still not self-glorifying. God is somehow dependent upon us, that God was lonely and needed us. No, let us not turn the gospel into a man-centered gospel. It is always and forever will be about the glory of the Father through his Son and the Holy Spirit. But in this trinity, he has invited humanity to experience divinity. This is what Peter said, that he wants you to share in the divine nature, to participate in this wonderful relationship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have had for all of eternity. To know this love, that surpasses knowledge. God's love surpasses our knowledge. So you ever try to figure it out? I know I have. And what happens? I get frustrated. God, how could you love me when I act like this? God, how could you still stick with me when I've done this? That's how we think, isn't it? That's according to our knowledge. It's the same principle that how he gives us peace. Peace that passes understanding. The Bible says in Philippians 4, you're going through a situation. God promises you peace. You say, no way, God, this situation can't be in peace. I'm going to a divorce court. I'm headed to bankruptcy. I'm losing my friends. All of these things are going wrong. My loved ones are dying. But he says, no, 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 you don't figure it out here and then get peace. You get peace here and you say this to chill. You tell yourself, my heart will be at rest. Be at rest, O my soul, and hope in God. And it's the same thing with understanding is love. We can't figure it out in our finite world. We can't figure out how God could love us so, how he would never give up on us, how he wouldn't change his love towards us. I love what another man said. God can't stop loving me because he never started loving me. Get that as a mindset of eternity. God never started. He's always been loving you. He never learns. He's always known you. Are you listening to me? And so his love never had a beginning, therefore it can never have an end. He's the alpha and the omega. He encompasses all of time. So there isn't a fear in the world that we should have towards our God. The Bible says perfect love drives out all fear. Now, some may say, what about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is what happens to our soul when we turn from our loving God. Our God loves us enough that he gives us a choice to not spend eternity with him. Just like the prodigal son was able to take his inheritance and leave. That is true. Humanity has left God, and they've gone their own way. Romans chapter 3 says they've all gone astray. We've all turned to our own wicked ways. None of us are righteous on our own. But what did that father do every day? He stood there by that doorside waiting for the prodigal son to come back home. And once he saw him, he ran to get him. And even one step further than that, the story of Christianity is not just the father waiting. It's the son coming to pursue us in the pits that we were in, in the pig styes that we are in and bringing us back to the Father. Can I hear an amen? And then we learn in 20 and onward, now to him who is able, talking about our Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, come on, and everybody said, Amen. Now pray a prayer like that tomorrow morning to see if that puts a pep in your step. That's the prayer of Paul, folks. That's how Paul prayed. This is our life as Christians. Looking again at the beginning, we understand that God is our Father. We pray to Him, kneel before Him. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing our relationship with Christ. If you don't have one, repent of your sins and be born again. Trust in him through faith. Right now, come into a relationship with him by faith, and then you will experience the love of God, the width of God's love, the length of God's love. How many are glad that God's love has followed you on the journey of life? Oh, man, you know, fears will come into your mind. How many have ever had these fears? You think forward to the future, and God's love is not there, and all you sense is the worst possible scenario of everything going wrong. And then you kind of, like, bring yourself back to this moment, and you're just like, oh, I'm so afraid now. You know why that fear is so terrifying? Is because you're not imagining in that scenario God's length of his love, that God's love is there. I mean, let's just be real. Somebody today, today may be at a bedside of a loved one, and you may be thinking to yourself, I don't know what I'm going to do if they die. And then you paint this picture of you two years from now, and, and you're getting married, and you wanted this loved one there to watch you get married, or you're having a baby, and you just start to think, oh, it's going to be so sad. They're not going to see my baby. They're not going to see the wedding. They're not going to see this. And you paint this whole picture. What's the problem with that? You haven't painted that picture on the road of God's love. Because that day you get married, though they may not be there, God's love will be there. And though they may not see the birth of that child, God's love will be there the day you give birth to that child. And if they have rooted their lives in Jesus Christ, they will hear all about it when you get there and you share eternity with them. In Paul's sister scripture, a sister church, the Ephesians had a sister church in Colossae. This is the book of Colossians. Look at how he says it here. He says in chapter 1, verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Can I just get some encouragement for, from you today as your pastor? Do I present the word of God to you in its fullness? Because that's my job. If I don't, pray for me to do it better then. And pray that I may continue to do it if you feel I'm doing it well. But that was what Paul said he was here to do. He said, I'm not here to entertain you. There's good parts of the Bible, and I'll make sure to tell you those. But there's also some scary parts. I'll make sure to tell you about judgment. I'm going to tell you the fullness. Amen. How many know today's a happy day to be in church? No rebukes coming out today. Amen. Doesn't it feel good? Amen. But I also got to tell you about other stuff too. Amen. As the book goes on, because Ephesians is going to start getting really practical in just a moment. It's going to start saying, get rid of selfish ambition. I'm going to have to preach a message on selfishness. It says, get rid of sexual immorality. I'm going to have to talk about those things. But how many know we're going to do it in the context of God's love? Amen. Grace and truth always go together. That's the fullness of the characteristic of Jesus, grace and truth. He said, I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in his fullness, the mystery that has now been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Here's the mystery. Jew and Gentile coming together in Christ, right? But look at how he says it in verse 27. To them, talking about the Jewish people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, these are the apostles, the Jewish ones who are serving the gospel now, make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we don't need a temple to go meet with God. God meets me, with me right here. Isn't that what he told the woman at the well? The woman at the well asked Jesus and said, where do I got to go to church to get the Holy Ghost, you know, to feel Jesus, uh, to feel, you know, feel God? And, and he said, it's not about temples anymore. He says, but God is looking for true worshipers, for he seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't have to go to the Himalayas to find God, man. All you have to do is start worshiping him and he'll find you. He'll be as close to you as the air you breathe. 
His love will encompass your entire life. Let's read verse 27 together. One, two, three. To them God has chosen to make known the mist among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is the hope of glory. One more time. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28 and onward. Listen, hope I, I get a good grade on this. This is literally what I'm living for. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, I proclaim it. I admonish. That means I correct those who are not thinking the way they should correctly. It's an admonishment. And then I teach. Show how it works. Proclaim, admonish, teach everyone with all wisdom. How many know when you come here you get some wisdom? Amen. So that we may present everyone what? Perfect in Christ. The newer translations say mature, but it needs to go back to that King James word, perfect, complete in Christ. Verse 29, this is my life verse right here. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. How many think that's a good life verse? Does anybody want the energy of God inside of them to be used to spread this message everywhere we go? This is the heart of our book today. And it's not only the heart of Ephesians, it's the heart of the Bible. And so the last few moments that we have today, that's really the message. I wanted to get it to you so that it could go through you. I want to start uh, ending it with this conclusion and then really get us to concentrate on what this looks like in our lives. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's what Paul said in Colossians. And then in Ephesians, he said that Christ in you is how you know the width, the length, the height, and the depth of Christ's love. Now, I want you to think about what your life looks like. You and I have to get up and live 24 hours a day with our own thoughts with our own inner conflict for some, inner trouble for others, and inner peace. Praise God for those who are living this way. But many of you don't have peace, and so you get up and you live with inner conflict. And this conflict gnaws on you. And I want to speak to those who are really going through some of these things right now, because this is not just a, a pie in the sky. This is not just something we're hoping for in the by and by. This is a literal hope today right now we have is that inner conflict comes to an end let me just give you some of the examples I felt in my heart this morning to take time to really apply this message some of you have the inner conflict of self-hatred and it comes in different ways different voices but it always comes with I I I, I'm no good anymore. I've made too many mistakes. I, I can't change. I'm not loved, maybe by a parent. I'm not loved by my dad. I'm not loved by my mom. I'm not loved. And then what you do is you identify with these words you're speaking. You say, that's who I am, and that becomes a conflict. Now, I want you to hear this. The devil knows how to tempt us to not believe this. And when he speaks to us, he doesn't say you, you, you. He speaks as I. So when you start to hear the devil's thoughts, he doesn't come and say, Tina, you're such a bad mom. Know what he does when he speaks to Tina in the language of the Spirit. He speaks to Tina, and he says, I'm a bad mom. I'm not doing a good job. I'm not as good as other moms. And you hear that, and you can be tempted to instantly believe that and say, I'm not. I'm not good. 
Not only does the devil bring our conflict, but we ourselves bring our conflict. We will think upwards of 40 to 60,000 thoughts today, and oftentimes we will speak to ourselves in the most negative ways. We'll tell ourselves over and over and over again, we have failed. I, and we'll use the word I, I failed. I'm not good enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not where I'm supposed to be in life. That's what I hear. I should have more. And see, what happens is the devil, with your own stinking thinking, begin to cause a conflict on the inside of you. And so now when you hear Christ is on the inside of you, there's almost like a doubt that makes you think it's too good to be true. Because how could, how could Christ be on the inside of me if I hear these thoughts? And I don't even know if it's from the devil or me. I just hear these thoughts all the time that bring this conflict. I can't live for Jesus. I can't be like so-and-so. I'll never do that. And what happens is, is we miss the entire revelation here. Because the revelation that God is giving Paul in these two passages is the fact that when Christ raised from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit, that settled the issue about your identity. That's what settled who you are. You are invaluable to God. He died on the cross for you. So it's like, how much is a car worth? We set a value, somebody pays it. How much was humanity worth? Divinity coming in humanity to die for us. That's how much we were worth. So when I teach my children at, at these early ages, you know, my wife's family is Greek, and I kind of learned this from them. We, we'll say, you know, I'll say to Joy or Zoe, how much does Daddy love you? How much does Daddy love you? And, and then I teach them to go, toso, and it means this much. And what we're supposed to do, the moment we hear the gospel, we're supposed to look at the cross and hear Jesus saying to us, I love you. That's what we're supposed to hear. And then when we accept it by faith and stop arguing with it, stop exalting, watch, stop exalting our thoughts above God's thoughts, we're supposed to then cast those other thoughts down and now speak the word over our lives. And so we're supposed to have a prayer life. It's like, get a life, man, a prayer life. Get a life, woman, a prayer life. We're supposed to learn to pray like Paul. And now put it into the conflict. It's the same concept of peace. Peace beyond your own understanding. Don't be anxious about anything, but in all your ways, bring your supplications to the Lord with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Right? Present these requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's the same thing. When we come into this fellowship with God and we start speaking his word, We start to still the conflict. We pull down those high and mighty thoughts that have scared us in the past, and we start subjecting them to the Word of God. And so when we hear these words in our own spirit, whether it's from the devil or ourself, and we're in conflict, and we're saying, nobody loves me, I'm not lovable, I can't make it, I'm not good enough, I'll never change, I'm not a good mother, I'm not a good father, I'm not going to have anything to look forward to when I get older. We can speak the word of God over our lives and say, he loves us this much, and his love is this wide. 
I just double dog dare somebody to pray that this morning when you get home or tomorrow morning and just go, God's love for me is this wide. And just think of every conflict in your life being surrounded by the love of God. And then say, I believe God is, God's love for me is this long. And then you walk down every single fear you can possibly imagine and put God's love in there. You put God's love on the graveside. You put God's love on days of tragedy. And you watch how that changes your outlook. And then you put the love of God in everything you imagine is going to happen up in heaven. I'm not afraid of judgment day. I'm not afraid of the things to come. I'm not afraid because my heavenly father's a good God. And Jesus is my king. And the Holy Spirit is my comforter. And then you put the love of God in your prayers towards everything of death, sin, and the devil. And you say, God loves me more than this. God loves me more than my mistakes. God loves me more than my past. God loves me more than what these demons are saying to me or afflicting me with. God loves me more than even my thoughts of doubt. What does he do with Peter? See, Judas hung himself. It's over. But Peter denied him three times. So what does he do with Peter? He asks him three times, do you love me? Why was he asking him that? Because he wanted him to know that he has to believe it. He had to believe. The Bible says your heart can condemn you and can try to convince you you don't love God. You don't love God. You're not really a Christian. And the Bible says, no, you do love God. When you confess him with your heart, you believe with him, uh, believe with all your, your, your life that he, he loves you. That can't take away your doubt because we have doubts. That's why the Pascal said, doubt your doubts. There's just sometimes you just have to say, I don't want to think about that. I'm going to go, what does the Bible say? Think about whatever's true. Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, right? Whatever's excellent, whatever, whatever is praiseworthy. Somebody say, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Now let me just speak to some of you who are at peace. Okay, so we're at peace. Now what, what does life try to do to us? So we get out of that conflict. We begin to recognize who we are in Christ. We begin to receive the love of God. We speak it over our lives. We confess it over our lives. We don't believe lies, right? So we're at peace. Now what do we have to do? Ephesians chapter 6. So let's pretend like we've actually read the whole book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6 says, Stand your ground when the devil comes. When that evil day comes, you stand your ground and you hold up that shield of faith and you say, this is who I am, this is what God said about me, and I will not be shaken, I will not be moved, I will stand on his love because I am rooted. I heard uh, Lauren just tell me the testimony the other day that when she found out about cancer, family members wanted to call her and comfort her. But one in particular was freaking out so bad, she had to comfort her. Are you listening? The call was meant to comfort Lauren, but the woman was so hysterical, almost to the point like, you're not taking this serious enough, Lauren. You need to be hysterical like me. And what Lauren was saying, in other words, to the woman was, no, 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 I'm standing on this rock right now. I'm standing upon the love of Jesus Christ. I am rooted down deep in his love for me. And the winds of this hurricane may blow. And those winds may howl and the rain may beat against me. But I will weather this storm. That's what we do. 
So you, you don't have to compare yourself to me and say, well, Joe, you've never gone through what I've gone through. You've never experienced what I've experienced. You don't know what I've experienced. But on the outside, the reason why you see me strong today, the reason why you see me praising Jesus and coming to church today, it's not because of what's on the inside of me and my own human effort. It is because of God on the inside. I have the fullness of Him, and He is able to do more than I ever thought or asked or imagined. And so that's how God wants us to be. Look at Jesus on the boat. The storms are coming, but Jesus is at peace. Jesus is at peace. You couldn't move Jesus from the position of peace. I want some of you all to get sassy with the devil and say, you won't move me from my position of peace. Can you say it right now? Come on, say, Satan, you're not taking me from my position of peace. I will stand upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I will build my life upon his word. This will be my default position. I am loved. I am righteous. I am holy. I am never alone. God is on the inside of me in fullness. There's nothing that I can do with him going with me. That's how we pray. So whether we are in conflict or whether we are in peace, the same principle applies. So where are you today? Are you somewhere in conflict? And you're thinking this is almost too good to be true. I really want to challenge you to start having a deeper relationship with God. I'm not blaming you for the conflict. I'm not blaming you for the problems. What I'm saying is now it's up to you to have faith to see peace come. I didn't say go and figure it out on your own how much God loves you. No, because it goes beyond your understanding. I didn't say go try to figure out peace. No, no, I'm saying put your faith in a God who loved you enough to send his son to die for you and now by the Holy Spirit wants to live inside of you. I don't know what that looks like in your everyday life. But what it looks like for me, just, just a little example, what it looks like for me is being at medieval times, just Friday, my five children and my wife, and it's Bethany's, my oldest, ninth birthday, and just seeing her cheer on the good guy. And God just saying to me, this is the family I've given you. And me knowing at that moment that was beyond anything I could ever have asked or imagined. And I, in the middle of this place, while we're supposed to be cheering for these warriors, tears start coming down my eyes and I just say, gracias, Señor, thank you, Jesus. It's just, it's just moments where the spirits of man, the spirit of man and the Holy Spirit intertwine. And as we heard in that quote, they interplay. And I felt so close to God in that moment. Even though I had never changed in my position, I was always as close to God as I had ever been. You know, I, you know, God doesn't leave us in that way. I was always in that same position. But there was, a, there was an interplay. There was a participation. There was a sharing. There was a giving and receiving. It was a glance of my eye and God knowing how much it meant to me and him speaking it back to me. Those are the things that God wants to do with you. You know, you're facing that hardship and he wants you to know, I'm going with you. I'm going, I'm going with you into the divorce court. I'm going with you into the funeral home. He may literally just speak that to your heart. A tear may be coming down your eye. Nobody understanding what's going on. But you know your God, the God of heaven and earth is with you. And you can go into that place. And yes, it may 
it may feel as if all hell's breaking loose. I have gone into hospital rooms with Jessica. When we went there with Jessica and Salvador and baby Hezekiah was on an incubator, breathing his last breath. I was probably more scared than they were to have me there. They were probably like, my pastor's come. What's going on? You know, we're going to pray. We're going to see something. I was probably more scared than them going, I don't know what to do. How do I as a young pastor go into a situation with a dying baby? But I knew Jesus was with us. And even though because of the curse of our bodies, babies die, I knew that I'll see Hezekiah again. There was hope in the midst of that because God's love is deeper than a grave. And we walked through that, and I will never pretend to say I understand what you went through. But we walked through that together as a church, didn't we? We wept at these altars. And it's like I could just see God's love. You know, here, here's the width of this problem. It is so terrible. It's their first baby. They got to see the child. The child is breathing its last breath. I mean, how terrifying can this be? It's so wide. It's so wide. The pain is so wide. But we can see God's love. <laughs> Spread out like an eagle over them and encompass them. Bring them under his wings of protection, his shadow of love. I got you. That's what God's love is like. It is the most powerful force upon this planet. It will change every part of your life. You will never be the same again. Today, would you take Paul's prayer seriously? And pray it with me as we leave. Come on, just close your eyes in your own words. And just say, today I'm coming to you, Father. If some of you want to kneel, that's okay. And just say, today I'm coming to you. I'm bowing before you. And I'm asking you to root my life in the love of Christ. So that I may know how wide is your love. How long is your love? How high and how deep is your love for me? That I may be filled with all the fullness of who you are today. That you would fill up every fear that I have. Fill up every letdown and failure. Fill it up with your presence to all I see now as I look at that situation. As I see you in the midst of it. I don't pay attention to the valley because I have a valley walker with me. The shepherd of my soul and his rod and staff. They comfort me. Come on a few moments right now. Touch heaven. Let heaven touch you. Let it begin right now. Let it begin right now. For some of you, if you haven't been born again, just ask Jesus into your heart. This is what we mean by that, friends. We mean that Jesus comes into our soul, to our inner being. Right now, by faith, he'll do it if you confess him as the Lord of your life. Renounce your sins. Jesus is quick to forgive and come move inside of you. A few more moments as the altar workers and band come, just on your own. Then we'll end worshiping the Lord today. But before we dismiss, would you pray? Center your heart on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We trust you, Jesus. Even when we don't see you, even when we don't experience you like we have at other times, we trust you. We know you are inside of us, and that brings us so much 
hope. Jesus, you are good, God. As you sense the Lord beginning to move in your heart, would you start to stand to your feet and raise up your hands and just sing a song on your own to the Lord as Adam does right now, just as we're going to lift up a song. We're just going to lift up our own words as if we were children right now in front of his throne. We're going to sing a song from our own heart. Just stand as you sense the Lord upon you. If you need to keep praying, go ahead. But some of us, we just want to worship. We just want to tell him thank you. good, good father before we leave out of here. As we get ready to sing this, just confess two or three things you're handing to the Lord right now. Two or three things. Say, God, I'm just giving this to you and I'm trusting your love to take care of it. God, I'm giving you my hopes of having a large ministry to change the world, plant churches, the vision. I'm not going to let my vision beat me up and discourage me today. I'm trusting your love. God, I'm giving you my fears of being an adequate father, not being good enough. Come on, I'm confessing mine in front of you right now. Confess these things you're giving to the Lord to receive his love. God, I confess to you right now and release to you my weaknesses and my temperament, oh God. I trust you to make me loving, joyful, patient, kind, gentle. Jesus, confess those things right now. Say, Lord, I'm surrendering them to your love because you're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You haven't changed your love for me. You love me. And you're going to walk with me through this life. Just a few more times, then we'll dismiss. You're a good, good 